This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Free your mind. Sex worker, and yes, it does. Sex worker, wedge vomit her mind. Listen up close while I take it backwards. Oh, guy begins to gather this in me, which I want. I'm not a proxy. Sex worker, but I can give you what you want. Sex worker, damn it. Get some. Tuned in to the Vixen Hour. Sex workers setting the record straight on Australia's first gay and lesbian radio station, Joy 94.9. Red Umbrella Radio. That's right, you have tuned into the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. The Vixen Hour is your weekly radio show that explores life issues and the world from a sex worker's perspective. This is your opportunity to challenge the stereotypes and prejudice that you may have about sex work and hear from the actual voices of sex workers ourselves. We are out loud and proud. This is the only community radio program in the world that is both publicly broadcasted directly to your radios and available online all the time via live stream and podcast podcast that's 100% produced and presented by sex workers. Now you can turn it up. All discussions presented on Vixen Hour are made in the interest of community information and are not intended to induce any individual to seek employment in the sex industry. For more information in this area, we recommend individuals to get in contact with their local sex worker organisation. The Vixen Hour. Everyone has an opinion about sex work. Make yours an informed one. Joy, 94.9. If you would like to interact with the show at all, any time throughout the hour, you can do so by sending us a text message on 0427-JOY949. That's 0427-569-949. Or sending us an email at onair at joy.org.au. Or you can call us at the front desk. Say g'day to Robert for us, 1300-JOY949. That's 1300 1300- 569-949 and we thank Robert very much for being there almost every other, every Monday. It's great to have OA support and awesome to have this volunteer-run radio station made up of many fabulous volunteers just like Robert and we say thank you. You are on the Vixen Hour. You're with Christian and I'm joined in the studio by Rani. Hi, Rani. Hi, Christian. <laughs> awesome to have you back here on the Vixen Hour. Awesome to be back. <laughs> <laughs> on this very special day. Yay. Today, for people who may not be aware, is International Sex Worker Rights Day. Yay. Which is fantastic. So International Sex Worker Rights Day is, it's a day to sort of celebrate and remember sex worker human rights, but also that coming together and being a community, being included in the broader community is also part of upholding our and asserting our human rights. So those are very important things. We'll be discussing all throughout the hour what human rights are. I think that's a good place to start, mm-hmm. but also how this day sort of came about and what are some of the 
recent issues with regards to human rights that have been happening. So it's going to be an interesting show. But as we do here most of the time <laughs> in the Vixen Hour, is we do try to provide a little bit of a definition of what we are talking about. Quite often we do ask our sex workers, well, how do they define sex work? So it only makes sense if we ask the question, well, what are human rights? Because I think people have sort of a sense of what they are. But putting it down as a definition might be a bit of a challenge. So I've pulled this audio from a video from EDIOS, which is a um, an organisation that does political education. And it's sort of a little recap on uh, what human rights are. So I thought we might listen to it now. You're in the Vixen Hour of Joy 94.9. The world is made up of many different countries, cultures and peoples. Yet despite all these differences, they all have one important thing in common. All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. This is what it says in the very first article of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights of December 10, 1948. The notion of human rights has become one of the most important in the history of humankind. But what exactly are human rights? Who is responsible for protecting them? And do they really apply to all people? We describe human rights as those rights which apply to every single person, simply because he or she is a human being. They are innate. Human rights apply to every person in every part of the world, without exception. They are therefore universal. They also apply equally to everyone, regardless of race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, skin color, age, or other features that may distinguish one person from another. Human rights are part of international law, The UN Charter of 1946 already contained important passages on the meaning and protection of human rights. The first proper international agreement was the UN Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948. In 1966, the UN adopted two more international covenants, one on civil and political rights, and the other on economic, social, and cultural rights. These declarations are collectively known as the International Bill of Human Rights and are the most important legal basis for human rights. In addition, there is a series of UN conventions. For example, the Geneva Convention relating to the status of refugees, the Convention on the Rights of the Child, the Convention Against Torture, or the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. But what are the specific human rights anchored in these conventions? Human rights are often divided into three generations or dimensions. The first dimension, the classic political and civil liberty rights. These include the right to life and physical integrity, a ban on slavery and forced labor, protection from torture, freedom of thought, conscience, and religion, a comprehensive ban on discrimination, and the right to vote. The second dimension, the economic, social, and cultural human rights. These include the right to work and to a decent wage, the right to form trade unions, equality between men and women, the protection of families, pregnant women, mothers, and children, the right to a decent standard of living, including the right to adequate food, the right to the highest attainable standard of physical and mental health, the right to education, and the right to participate in cultural life. The third dimension deals with the rights of groups. It includes the right to self-determination, the right to development, the right to a clean environment, and the right to peace. The principle of the indivisibility of human rights is important. 
That means none of the rights listed in the political, economic, social, and cultural human rights may have precedence over the others. Human rights can only be consummated when all facets work together. The exercise of civil and political rights depends on the safeguarding of economic, social, and cultural rights, and vice versa. That was a bit of audio from from EDIOS, which is a political education organisation, just talking about what are human rights. And I think there are a few really important points in there. What did you think of the audio there? I thought it was really interesting. There was a few things I, I didn't think of myself. Look, the the fact that, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a right that belongs to everyone regardless of status, you know, their status, mm. whether where, where they live, whether where their job is, their sexual orientation, all of that. Mm-hmm. What I can't help wondering is how do we get it so wrong? How come we're always fighting for, for these rights? rights? Mm. I think one of the important things to remember is when, when you talk about equality and how human rights belong mm-hmm. to all people, and, and the first things they identify are things like you know race, sexual orientation, mm-hmm. gender, all of those things. But I think the thing that sex workers notice the most is that we don't explicitly say human rights are also protected equally regardless of occupation. And quite often, because a lot of the times when we talk about sex worker and sex worker rights, we are talking about worker rights. That's right. So it's your right to work Mm. in your chosen occupation. Absolutely. Right? Mm. So... (laughs) (laughs) And and for many... And I mean, a lot of people will come back with the critique that, you know, sex work isn't legal or whatever in in certain areas. But, you know, in in Australia, in most states, there's a legalised form of sex work. That's right. And I mean, a lot... And sex workers pay taxes, certainly. That's right. We'll come to some of the, um, I guess, exemptions to human rights mm-hmm. a little bit later mm-hmm. on in the show. But, yeah, it's important to remember that these rights do apply to everyone, including sex workers. Yeah. Mm. The other interesting point that get, got brought up in that piece of audio is that, that human rights or can't be divided. You can't yeah. – one, one set of rights can't take There's precedent. There's no hierarchy. Mm. That's yeah. right. So all of those rights have to work together. Yeah. And this has become a really important point because I think there are certain um, groups or people who are not entirely in favour of the sex industry <laughs> will, no. s- will say things like, oh, but what about this certain group or what about trafficked victims or and quite often they'll they'll pitch one set of rights against another so they'll a lot of those arguments are made because you know human beings have the right to be protected from forced labor and labor mm-hmm, and slavery mm-hmm. but you we also have the right to work so you can't I, I find it unusual that people would use that argument because, in a way, it is sort of separating human rights. Yeah, like, mm. yeah, they do, and they for somehow do it well. <laughs> <laughs> they do labour under this. Yes, yeah, that you can do that. Can, <laughs> but, sex, do. but sex workers are like so. Sex workers do experience human rights. Um, well, and I guess protection of human rights on in various levels and degrees, and we'll be exploring a number of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the rest of the show. If you'd like to interact with the program, you can do so by sending us a text message on 0427 JOY949, that's 0427 569 or sending us an email on air at joy.org.au. It would be awesome to hear from you. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about International Sex Worker Rights Day. Yay, how it started, what it's all about. <laughs> You're in the Vixen Hour here on JOY94.9. 
this is Courtney Trouble, and you're listening to the Vixen Hour on Joy 94.9. Australia's most amazing gay and lesbian radio station, Joy 94.9. Hello, this is Julia Zamiro. Hi, this is James Rain. Hi, this is Cameron Datto. Hi, this is Bick Runger. Hey, this is the Pop Bellies. Hi, this is Roger Sanchez. Hi, this is Tina Cousins. Hey, what's up? This is Jack from Fun. Hi, this is Casey Donovan. Hi, uh, hello there. Hi, uh, this is Frank Woodley, and you're listening to Joy uh, 94.9, which is uh, preferable than Sadness FM. Joy 94.9. You are listening to the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. You're with Christian and Rani. Uh, If you'd like to stay connected to the Vixen Hour all throughout the week, you can do so by liking us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash sexworker radio. We are also on Twitter at Vixen Hour. So if you would like to connect to us on social media, that's how you do it. Hey there, Rani. Hey, Christian. <laughs> Happy International Sex Worker Rights yay, Day. Yay, yay. <laughs> so, Christian, tell me, when did it start, International Sex Worker Rights Day? Uh, so, International Sex Worker Rights Day has been around for quite a while. So, uh, I think the actual day was uh, declared in 2001. Yay. That, oh, yay. So, yeah, it has been with us for quite a while. And um, why did it start? So... There's an organisation in India called the DMSC, which stands for, this is testing my memory <laughs> off the top of my head, it's the Duba Mahila Samanwaya Committee, that's... or the DMSC, which is why everyone <laughs> says it that way. Good memory. So that's a, that's a sex worker organisation that's active in India. And the amazing thing about this organisation is it has something like upwards of 60,000 sex workers as its membership base. Isn't that just fantastic? It's incredible. Yes. Like, it's that's the population bigger than a number of small towns. towns yes. Uh, but these are all sex workers who are connected to each other and, you know, work together for their human rights and try to provide outreach and services to other sex workers. The incredible thing about the DMSA, we have spoken them about them in we previous ep- episodes, yeah. but um, they, they have enough sort of infrastructure that they run their own bank um, and they can issue loans to their members. That is amazing. Isn't that incredible? That's just fantastic. That's what happens when sex workers work together. So Uh, Amazing things happen. So they did put on a bit of a festival back in 2001 and in recognition of their organising, that's when they declared today as Sex Worker Rights Day. Oh, good on, on them. I think one of the important things to remember about that day and particularly its origins is that it's a day that began with sex workers who are from a developing country. And that's particularly important because when we talk about, I guess, internationally sex workers, people would identify things like, you know, poverty or desperation Mm. as reasons for, I guess... There are a lot of the reasons why people engage in sex work, um, but you're also talking about very vulnerable groups. And quite often when you're talking about human rights, it's easy to, I guess, discount people from uh, developing countries when you're having that conversation. It's much easier to sort of jump right in there and try to rescue people and not see that what they're doing is actually a choice relative to, you know, what is available to them. So the fact that 
this came from a group that is, you know, living in a developing country was a really important thing. And when you look at sort of sex work celebrations all throughout the world on this day, you'll notice that a lot of them happen in in developing countries and in non-English speaking countries. So yeah, it's a bit of a big deal. It is. That cultural Very background. Interesting too. Mm. So yeah, so that's how um, the day started. And, and what's it about? <laughs> It, it is about remembering sex worker rights and that yeah. they do belong to everyone. Um, yeah. And, and as, as I suppose there are sort of three significant dates for sex workers that happen. So this that would the, be? The other dates would be International Whores Day, yeah. which is the 2nd of June, which remembers the birth of the modern sex worker rights movement. And December 17, which is International Day to End Violence Against Sex Workers, yes. remembering that sex workers do experience violence all throughout the world. But today is a bit more of a positive day. Yes. Um, remembering that sex workers can organise, can be vocal about their human rights and that's what we do. Often. Mm, often. So I think it's, this is our little way of celebrating sex worker rights is by, you know, having, I think re- having the Vixen Hour on this day is particularly nice. So being it able is. to focus on sex worker rights all throughout the world as well. We'll mm-hmm. be talking about what's happened in Europe and also focusing on some of the issues that are occurring back home. So what an appropriate day to do it on. Yay. <laughs> so you are listening to the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. We're totally bent for your listening pleasure. Joy 94.9. You're listening to the Vixen Hour. On Joy 94.9. You are listening to the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. We're going to go to a bit of a chat now with uh, Janelle Fawkes from the Scarlet Alliance talking about a recent uh, event that happened in Europe. You're in the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. So you're in the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. You're with Christian and I'm currently joined by the fabulous Janelle Fawkes, CEO of the Scarlet Alliance, the National Association of Sex Workers here in Australia. Hi there, Janelle. Hello, everyone. (laughs) It's wonderful to have you on the line. It's great to be here. (laughs) So the Scarlet Alliance has responded to a recent decision that was made by the European Parliament. Did you want to just give the listener a a brief recap of, of what's happened over there in Europe? Yes, absolutely. Mary Honeyball from the UK put up a report to the EU Parliament really recommending the EU country states take the approach of criminalising clients or following the Swedish model of sex industry regulation. And so that was presented to the European Parliament and there was a vote for That's that? right. Mm-hmm. So on the 26th of February, the European Parliament voted 343 in favour, 139 against the report, which, as I say, urges the criminalisation of clients Mm-hmm. of sex workers in Europe. In terms of, I guess, laws that are rolled out in countries, do you have an idea of what that means in terms of, um, I guess, countries and their, their individual sex work legislation for each country in the European Union? Well, it doesn't mean that each European country will take up that option of introducing this model of sex industry regulation. But what it does do is it kind of sets a standard. It's as if the EU Parliament has said 
that this approach is a good idea. And that's where I think it's most problematic for us as sex workers and particularly for our um, colleagues and friends, sex workers in Europe, because it means that each time sex industry regulation is considered, this bill the Swedish model mm-hmm. is on the table as a good model of regulation when we know that the evidence, both anecdotal evidence from sex workers but also documented evidence, shows that in fact it puts sex workers in danger and it severely reduces sex workers' autonomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the listener who may just be starting to get an awareness of these issues, what has, I guess, the Swedish model, some people have called it the Nordic model, what has the impact of that regulatory framework had on the lives of sex workers? Well, the impact of the Swedish model is quite broad because it, of course, doesn't only criminalise uh, the clients of sex workers, it criminalises many different aspects and it also brings with it a underpinning understanding of sex workers as victims of violence and as people who've made the wrong decision. So it, it kind of, it does include um, layers of stigma and the resulting discrimination. So an example of a direct impact on sex workers is that a person who might rent you an apartment or a room would be at risk of criminalisation. So, of course, that really impacts on my on someone's willingness to rent a property to a sex worker and, therefore, um, sex workers' ability to set up autonomous workplaces where they have complete control of their occupational health and safety is absolutely reduced. But it also means that clients are very fearful of detection and police stake out the workplaces of sex workers. So clients don't want to meet you at your already organised, established workplace. They demand to meet you in a public place so that they reduce the risk of detection. And that means that you are negotiating your service in a public place with your client. But also there's many reports from sex workers in Sweden and from Rose Alliance, the sex worker organisation there, of some really problematic approaches where, for example, the adult children living at home uh, with a parent who is a sex worker could be charged with pimping and that has happened in, um, in Sweden. It also is the case that a very um, high-profile murder of a sex worker in Sweden demonstrated that you are at risk of being understood to be an unfit parent simply mm. because you are a sex worker. And of course we know that to be absolutely not the case. Yet that is the approach taken by services and the judiciary in Sweden because the Swedish model gives the impression and sends the message that sex workers have made bad choices are not able to make good choices and are not, you know, not the same as everybody else in the community. And so the Swedish model, not only does it bring criminal impacts, but it brings social and cultural impacts on sex workers. It sounds like the Swedish model is a, like with those examples of like the impact on the lives of sex workers. This is a very clear demonstration of the modern way laws can drive people underground. Absolutely. The Swedish model certainly drives people underground. And um, as I describe, sex workers in custody battles, 
may face and have faced discrimination, but also you are unlikely to report a crime in that kind of environment. Mm. But most problematic, I think, it is that it creates almost an underclass of people who are sex workers as though those people are not the same as everybody else. And that kind of social exclusion Mm. um, has long-term impacts. Yeah, right. So this law really is a very clear example of, um, I guess, entrenched discrimination that sex workers can face when laws don't treat them or see them as equals to everybody else in the community. That's right. And there has been some surveying done in Sweden, and it shows that people now believe that, in fact, sex workers should be criminalised. So it has given an impression within the Swedish society. The European Parliament has voted to support this report and this, and I guess all of the implications that come with it. But uh, there are other sort of big international bodies who have taken a different approach. So um, the UN, UNAIDS, uh, the World Health Organization have sort of put out very different positions to the one that the European Union has just voted to support. And more recently, Amnesty International's um, draft paper around supporting decriminalisation because it does support the human rights of sex workers. So with these big international organisations sort of taking an, on a different approach, what do you sort of see as, I guess, the dynamic that's going to happen out there in the international community? Because clearly there is a lot of disagreement that's happening right now. That's right. I guess that's what we, Scarlet Alliance, found most problematic about the European Parliament decision in favour of the Swedish model, because Many, many different organisations, um, as you describe, UNAIDS, a whole many different kinds of organisations, as well as sex worker organisations and sex workers, very clearly understand the impact of the Swedish model and do not support it. Yet the European Parliament voted strongly in favour of it at a time when we have banks of evidence demonstrating how problematic the legislation is, but also demonstrating how successful decriminalisation is. And so it's almost as though the European Parliament has decided to act in opposition to the evidence. And during the process of considering the report, Mary Honeyball from the UK, who put up the report, it was interesting to us that when 560 organisations who opposed her report and opposed this form of criminalisation made that very clear, she accused all of those organisations as being comprised of pimps as a way of undermining that major cross-section of different organisations and people, including sex worker organisations and sex workers, as a way to undermine their advocacy and undermine the voices of sex workers. So it is also a pretty disappointing moment in the history of democratic decision-making for sex workers particularly when policymakers at the level of the European Parliament would use such low tactics as to call well-established strong organisations and large entities like UNAIDS, etc., undermine those organisations' opinions by calling them pimps.
It's, it's a it's a rather extraordinary step. Just to bring it back home to Australia. Now Australia has a number of different positions. So so sex work is regulated at a state based level, and each state has taken a different approach, and sometimes quite radically different approaches. So we're seeing sort of broad based uh, criminalisation of a lot of sex work related activities in Western Australia and in WA, whereas in New South Wales we're seeing um, de decriminalisation of the entire sex industry. Uh, do you think? I think it would be helpful, I guess, at a federal level to have a position on the sex industry as far as what is the best practice in terms of legislation? Yes, I, I do think it would be helpful if Australia was to identify very clearly the success of decriminalisation and acknowledge that it would be very helpful and um, both from a public health outcome perspective also from the point of view of occupational health and safety for sex workers and also for compliance and low-cost models for government, it would be very good if there was uh, decriminalisation, a position taken that decriminalisation is the best practice model of sex industry regulation. It's always concerning to us to think about what might happen if we were to take the approach of federal legislation for the sex industry because decriminalisation was introduced in 1995 in New South Wales and that model has, as we say, proved to be extremely effective and research comparing different states and territories has demonstrated how effective it is. Yet each time sex industry regulation has come up for debate since that point, except for South Australia, each other state has actually taken a very radical step backwards. Mm. So we'd be fearful in these, what some would say, are very conservative times mm. um, to see what might happen in a federal space around sex industry regulation. But I think your point really was, wouldn't it be better if you know there was consistent decriminalisation throughout each state and territory in Australia? And absolutely, I think that would be important and or a, at least a policy position where Australia um, says clearly externally that decriminalisation has worked. I think that the AIDS 2014 conference coming up in Melbourne um, in July is one of the times when Australia will be showing or showcasing to everybody else its successes. And I think decriminalisation will be used at that point to showcase particularly Australia's approach to HIV prevention, how successful decriminalisation has been in that regard. Fantastic. And will we be expecting to see the Scarlet Alliance have a presence at the AIDS 2014 uh, conference here in Melbourne? Absolutely. We will definitely be in Melbourne for AIDS 2014. We have, along with APNSW, our regional sex worker network, and NSWP, the Global Sex Worker Network, um, put in a application for the Sex Worker Networking Zone at the conference and we hope to have a range of different activities happening around that space. But of all, also, of course, we'd be working with our local member, Vixen, mm -hmm. um, and we, we have a lot of ideas planned for some exciting events around July for sex workers, but also... To give people both in the Melbourne community but also visitors from around the world who will attend the conference, just a little insight into sex workers' experiences and how how clear we are on what we need both in a, as far as laws go but a whole bunch of other things. 
And we're going to be hosting, of course, sex worker advocates from a range of different countries, and that includes uh, representatives from Rose Alliance and Mm -hmm. other countries. So we'll have people here who can give us first-hand information about the experience of sex workers in Sweden. Fantastic. We really look forward to seeing you here in Melbourne. Um, As always, Janelle, it's been fabulous speaking to you here on the Vixen Hour. Thanks so much for having me on. I love the Vixen Hour and it's a great privilege to be included. (laughs) Wonderful. You're on the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. A voice for sex workers. The Vixen Hour on Joy 94.9. We're totally bent for your listening pleasure. Joy Joy 94.9. Can you tell me a story from the 
We are explorers by Cut Copy, awesome Australian act, which we love promoting here on Joy 94.9. Wonderful local performers. All the- <laughs> Speaking of awesome acts, how's Janelle, hey? Janelle's fantastic. Isn't she? And does such great work with the Scarlet Alliance. Yes. Um, yeah, before that song and those messages, we were speaking to Janelle Fawkes, CEO of the Scarlet Alliance, just giving us an update on the situation in Europe, who've recently voted in to support a report recommending laws that criminalise clients, which has had such a horrible impact on Mm. sex workers in Sweden and, I mean, they tell us more than anything anyone else what the situation's like there. So, yeah, it's a a worrying sign. It is a bit of a I guess step back for the rights of sex workers, particularly in Europe. But having said that, it has you know, like I sort of said it in that interview, there has been sort of international recognition of decriminalisation as a best practice model. So there is disagreement out there in the international community. And that sort of brings us to Australia and sex mm-hmm. worker rights here in Australia. Now, I think the reason why we talk about decriminalisation when it comes to human rights, as Janelle sort of referred to, there's there's a mountain of evidence that says if you decriminalise the sex industry, human rights, working conditions, industrial relations, equal opportunity, all of those things... Improve. Absolutely. When What Janelle's talking about when states have taken a, a radical step back, as she says, is that they implement a model called legislation or licensing. So that happens at a state level, including here in Victoria. And what that means is that sex workers are are regulated by a different set of laws to everybody else. So while there is like the Fair Work Act or occupational health and safety standards that apply to everyone and laws, those laws apply to everyone, because we have a special act that's just for the sex industry, it means that the sex industry gets treated differently. And that's when things like human rights can, sort of, can be overlooked. And often are, mm. especially in the case of sex workers. So, I'm Christian. Mm. What do you think are some of the issues facing sex workers in Australia? So, certainly facing like laws that discriminate against sex workers yeah. is, is, a, is a big issue. But I guess to take that further, there are sort of certain examples where equal opportunity has also not been given to sex workers. So, again, because equal opportunity happens at a state-based level, it gets treated differently everywhere. So, for example, in the ACT, one of the attributes that's protected by equal opportunity, so that things like age, ability, race, gender, sexual orientation, all of that kind of stuff. One of the things that they do protect is our legal sexual activity. And so sex work is considered that in in Canberra. So because sex work is a legal profession, it means that sex workers are protected under that act and and it's one of the, I guess, equal opportunity protections that they have. But that's not the case in every other state. So there are are some other states that, that don't offer sex workers much protection and recently in 2012 um, we've seen exemptions come into equal opportunity so that it has become legal to discriminate against sex workers. And in Queensland, that's what we saw. The Attorney General actually amended the law to make it legal for businesses, particularly hoteliers, to discriminate against sex workers. So that's a bit of a back step. But I guess that's Just what... Just a bit. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, a big back step. Uh, but I guess that's what happens when, like, sex work, sex work laws aren't sort of, you know, rolled out consistently, which is why I guess I was asking Janelle about having a, a, a national position yeah. around supporting best practice. Yeah. Mm. How in the face of all that evidence hmm. are a government stepping backwards? I mean, what else can they do besides yeah. decriminalisation? I think listening to sex workers. Well, that would be a start. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be a big start. Mm. Uh, listening to sex workers, recognising that sex workers are part of the general community, are in, as as entitled to human rights as everybody else, and looking at the evidence. That's so right. Yeah, so there is a mountain of evidence that says decriminalisation is best practice in terms of supporting human rights. It's what we have to do. And what we must do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Human rights are supposed to belong to everyone. Mm-hmm. And you were saying earlier that there was... It didn't specify human rights regardless of occupation. Mm. But are there some sex workers who face a different level of human rights than others? Absolutely. So I think this is something that we've recognised in the sex worker rights movement because it's such a diverse movement. Criminalisation, see, this is why um, legalisation or licensing um, doesn't necessarily entirely support sex worker rights because what legalisation means is that there will always be someone who falls outside of that legal framework. Mm -hmm. So um, most commonly um, street-based sex workers and and, and not... Private workers. Workers, depending w- on which state you mm-hmm. work in. Yeah, if, if, you, if you don't register, yeah. um, you, you, you um, are sort of excluded from yeah. that. And also uh, sex workers, uh, so migrant sex workers are also mm-hmm. not very well protected by the law and certainly um, with... Because there's no such thing. They're all trafficked, aren't uh, they? Well, that, that's... <laughs> That is the stereotype that comes out, unfortunately. Yeah. But other sex workers and people who and sex workers who people may not consider. So, think people like um, HIV positive sex workers. That's right. In some case, in some states, it's illegal to do sex work while being mm-hmm. HIV positive, including here in Victoria. Like that's a major human rights issue because. Anybody can become HIV positive. That's right. And so it's never sort of gone to court, if you like. Mm -hmm. But if a sex worker was to become HIV positive, you know, would they be entitled to things like workers' compensation um, because they're no longer able to work? And it's those kinds of questions that come up constantly. So, yeah, there are some, again, because we don't consistently protect the rights of sex workers, there are Mm. some who fall through. And that's why it is so important to protect the rights of sex workers because Mm. they can be so quickly and swiftly taken away. Yeah, and yeah, certainly the Queensland case, which has had a massive impact on Mm. on sex workers uh, across Australia, it was a you know really stark reminder of just how other we are actually. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, you are listening to the Vixen Hour here on Joy ninety four point nine. If you would like to stay connected to the Vixen Hour or throughout the week, you can do so by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash sex worker radio. You can also follow us on Twitter at Vixen Hour. We've got to go to some messages now, but we will be right back to say goodnight. You're in the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. A voice for sex workers. The Vixen Hour on Joy 94.9. You're listening to the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. You've been with Rani and Christian. 
The time is three minutes to ten. Oh. How fast did that go? <laughs> Always. And, you know, so much to talk about. Never get time to get around to all yeah. of it. But, you know, that does happen here in the Vixen Hour. It does. Uh, thank you to Rani for joining me here in the studio. Thank you to Robert for uh, manning the front desk for us. There were a couple of messages throughout the show. Yay on your content tonight from Brian. Thanks, Brian. Always awesome to receive messages. Fab show as always. Love your work, Mark from Thornbury. Thank you. No, not Mark. Matt. Matt. Matt from Thornbury. Thank you for listening, Matt. Awesome to hear from you. Yeah. Good to be on the show again, Christian. Aw, thank you, Rani. (laughs) You're on the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.